Wow, thanks, guys. Thanks. That is um, good, good, good stuff. Um, I got to tell you, part of my challenge this morning, um, from my perspective, is there are some of you who are here who are really in a good place in life. And you're thinking, you know, this is good, Rich, and this is really good to know and so forth, but this, this isn't me. I'm right now, you know, knock on wood or whatever. Things are great. My wife and I or my husband and I, we're doing really well. Our, our family's good. Business is doing pretty well. We're in a good place right now. And, uh, and if that's you, let me just say, God bless you. That's terrific. Um, and I will say this, you might want to just, you know, file this away in the back burner, so to speak, of your brain or, or, or keep the notes for later or uh, it's always on the website. You can get it there as well because there are times and there will be times for all of us when we kind of need to be reminded of these truths, these things about whether it be persevering through the tragedies of life or whether it be just dealing with difficult times or whatever it happens to be. So if you're in that, if you're in that particular situation, and I hope most of you are, um, just just think through this with me. Just kind of file it away. Some of you aren't there. Some of you here, and I've been doing this long enough and been, you know, speaking to crowds like this long enough and between this and the next service um, to know that there are some people who are really going through some quote-unquote fire and rain and so forth in their life. And for you, just listen closely and try to just ask yourself some questions and maybe even be introspective and, and reflective and maybe even prayerful in your own way uh, as you think about this, something you can maybe talk about with, with someone or a friend later on or whatever. But here's what we're going to do with this. We're going to talk about some guidelines for perseverance from a master perseverer, okay? I, didn't, I, and that's, I know it's not right English. It's not proper English. Um, it's not correct, but... Um, I wanted to communicate it. Guidelines for perseverance from a master perseverer. That's our theme. Do I have that? Um, and um, hopefully I'll have that on, on, up in PowerPoint in just a moment. We don't have that. Okay. Let me, let me just, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you what those guidelines are anyway, whether we have that or not. Um, I want to begin with a quote from an actress, whether or not you particularly like this act, actress. Um, here's, uh, hey, I think it's a good quote. It always amazes me to think that every house on every street is full of so many stories, so many triumphs and tragedies, and all we see are yards and driveways. A lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. Many years ago, in a previous life, so to speak, I used to fly in a helicopter every day to do traffic reports for this radio station that I was working for at the time. Actually, it was when I was going through um, school the second time. Divinity School. And, uh, and uh, I used to always remember, we, Charlene and I had a little apartment, a little one-bedroom, no, two-bedroom apartment that was about 500 square feet, I think. And because uh, we had our, 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 at that time, our little baby, um, who was our oldest, and, um, and he was like a year old. And I remember flying over many times, and, and I could just pick out, out of, you know, the sea of homes, in Birmingham, Alabama, just sea of homes and houses and in this really well, extremely populated area, I could always pick out that little apartment and uh, from the sky and think, yeah, I, and I knew the, what was in there and I knew who was in there and I just thought, God's like that with everybody. I thought that was kind of cool. He's like that with everybody. He knows every story 
in every home, little or big, knows every story. And many of those stories are filled with different kinds of uh, heartache and heartbreaks, as well as victories and happiness and joy. So as we think about that, I want, I want to give you some biblical guidelines for someone who's been there, so to speak, someone who's been there that can help us the next time we find ourselves dealing with the tragedies or the complexities of life, all right? So who are we going to go to that's been there, that understands this in the Bible and can give us, again, not a formula, not a one, two, three, four, five, but can give us some guidelines to think through this thing the next time we're there or if we're there right now? Well... I chose this very well-known guy in the Old Testament. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. Probably you've heard of this guy. Job. Job. I chose, we'd go just look at some of Job's life, and it's 42 chapters. We're not going to go through all 42 chapters or even read it all. But I'm just going to give you some, 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 pick out some highlights for you. Just some, and some guidelines along with these, what I call guidelines for perseverance from the master perseverer. Uh, who is Job in this particular case. And, uh, and we're going to learn some things. Some of these things may even cause some questions. It's not my purpose, um, but at the same time, sometimes that happens. So I want to just jump right into this, and then I'm going to make some points, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But we're going to begin in chapter jo- uh, excuse me, Job chapter 1. Job's in the Old Testament. Job is, we, most scholars believe, probably the oldest, uh, by an oldest book of the Bible. Um, the dating on it probably predates Genesis. We don't exactly know who wrote it. Scholars disagree. Was Job a literal person or was, he, was it a parable? doesn't really matter what you believe about that. What you, what you need to believe is the truth that's here. The prodigal son, if you know that story of the, of the, son, the, of the two sons and one of them took off and did his own deal. That was, a, that was a parable. It was a story that Jesus made up but it had wonderful truth in it. So whatever Job, whether he was the real deal or whether he was a real person, the truth is just as real, and I want you to get this. So here's Job, it's in chapter 1, verse 6. One day, when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. Now, I'm reading this to you from the message paraphrase of the, New, of the Bible and uh, Old Testament. And uh, the designated accuser is how he refers to Satan, which is a good term. So here they are before God. Verse 7, God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? I like that. Have you noticed my friend Job? You know, I, you ever drop names with people? Well, I know so-and-so. Well, I know so-and-so. He's this person. He's the CEO of your company, or he's this, or he's that. You get into that little thing. Sometimes I've, I've got a friend who does that with me. He and I do that. I have two or three friends who I do that with every now and then. Well, I know this person. Well, I know this person. Well, I know this person. I know this person who knows this person. And I'm like, I'm a friend of God's. Top that. You know? There you go. <laughs> can't beat that one, can you? Okay. You can't get any higher. Okay. So anyway, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally, devoted to God and hating evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. In other words, 
And then he says in verse 12, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that interesting little discussion there? You know, in this... Keep in mind, I'm going to tell you more about this in just a moment. This is, this is Hebrew poetry. It's prose, and it's talking about this, this background thing going on here between, between Satan and God. And, and basically, Satan is saying, Job is righteous because he's got it good. If he doesn't have it good, so to speak, he'll curse you, God. He'll turn on you just because he's got a lot of good stuff. And you've taken care of him. You've given him a great family. If, any, if he loses any of that, he's gone. You know. So, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, the same thing happens again. So, first thing, God says, <clears throat> he's in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. Don't touch him. Now, chapter 2, Job puts it this way. Again, there was a day when the sons of it, these are fallen angels, sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to, pre- to present himself to the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you been? Same thing. You've got the same, same little thing going on. And then verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless, upright, man-fearing God, turning away from evil, so forth and so forth. Verse 4, same, you know, chapter 2, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Now it's a little different. Yes, all the man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now, touch his bone, make him sick, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. But then again, he puts a qualification, only spare his life. Okay, Satan, you can make him sick, but you can't kill him. Okay. Let me make a couple of statements about this, and you've got to see this. This is, you know, don't get too confused. Some of you are sitting here thinking, what is there, some kind of big cosmic chess game in life going on for my soul or for my life? You know, is that what's happening here? Don't, don't, don't go there with that thought. Just l- l- listen to a couple of statements that I want to make, and then we'll see some other things. Again, Job is Hebrew poetry, okay? There is a huge... There is a huge background conspiracy that is going on that seeks to bomb you out, but you are not a pawn. You are not a bit player, okay? You're not an extra. You're very much a part of this thing. Your choice matters, and even more, there is a God in heaven. This is the part that I don't want you to miss from these verses that we've seen. There's a God in heaven that while he has allowed free will, he will step in on behalf of his children, his people, the people that have trusted him, he will step in on their, on their behalf and say, that's enough. And whether you want to call it evil or the power of evil or Satan or whatever else you want to call it, um, you can go so far but no further. And God has that in his realm. Now, the first question I want to ask when I talk about that is, well, if God has that in his realm, why does he allow any evil? Now, think about that statement. Just think about that for a moment. If God has that in his realm, why does God allow any evil in the world? Why does he allow that in? Here's the issue. If we don't have evil, if there's not a a Satan, you see, then all of a sudden the creatures here on earth called humans, you and me, become robotic. But because we're just robots. That's That's why mankind fell. That's why we live in a fallen world with fallen people who need redemption who need to come to God in, in faith and say, God, help me. That's why Jesus came. For me and for you, because we're all fallen people. 
You see, and that's what's represented. So you say, why is there evil? It's because mankind chose, including you and I, it's, it's, it's written for us in the, in the book of Genesis as Adam and Eve, but we're there with them. We call that federal headship, if, whatever you want to call it. That's the theological term. Um, that, that headship, we were there and we fell and, Satan, and sin, quote-unquote, wrong, broken-hearted crap came into the world because of those choices that we are all a part of. So don't say, well, gosh, why did God even allow evil? Because we chose that and we have evil, otherwise we're all robots. And you know what? I don't want that. I'm not too interested in that. don't even like the concept. Right? So the Hebrew poetry here basically is telling us that those who have faith in God, somebody up there loves you and he's got your back. That's what he's telling us. That yeah, certain stuff's going to come into your life, certain, I'm going to use this word again strategically, certain crap may come into your life, but hey, God will say that's enough. They can't take any more. And that's grace, you see. You say, well, it shouldn't have been there in the first place. No, it shouldn't have been, but that's because we're all humans and we're all fallen and we live in a fallen world. Let me give you a great quote from a great historian. Charles Beard, I am convinced that the world is not a mere bog in which men and women trample themselves in the mire and die. Something magnificent is taking place here. Amid the cruelties and tragedies and the supreme challenge to intelligence is that of making the noblest and best in our curious heritage prevail. Something magnificent is, going, is taking place here amid the cruelties and the tragedies of life. Here's the point. Those who seek to have a relationship with God there is this protective filter of life that it, it doesn't keep bad things from happening, but it somehow puts a limit on them, okay? And you've already seen my point up there. I didn't want that to be seen just yet, but you've already seen it. Remember, God's crap of life filter. I could, you know, I know, and, and that's, that's the point here. I know you all are more worthy of something a little more erudite, something a little more um, um, sophisticated, something a little more educated, something like that. But, you know, and I, and I really, I, literally, I labored over that phrase. And, I, you know, there's no other way to put it, just the crap of life. There are some other ways to put it, but that wouldn't make it through the Renaissance censors. But um, um, God's got this crap of life filter. That, that certain things can happen because we bring it on ourselves or, or, or maybe we don't bring it on ourselves. It's just death may happen. Not that we did something wrong, but because just the fallen nature of mankind. That's why we have death. That's why we have sickness. That's why we have all kinds of other stuff that can happen. We have that. It's just the crap of life. But God has this filter that says, that's it. For those who have faith in him. Okay? And that's the issue here that I want you to see that I don't want you to miss at all. Okay? Um, This filter only allows that which is redemptive. It's a filter, we call it, the theological term is God's sovereignty. I call it God's all in all. God's God's in control, even though he allows evil, and he allows evil because we've chosen that and we're fallen people. Would God prefer that there there never be any death? Would God prefer that there never be any heartache? Would God prefer that... Children never be abused. Absolutely, God would prefer that. But humankind at the fall chose evil. And with that, ushered in all other forms and sorts of evil. That's why we need God. 
That's why God can do a redemptive thing in people's lives as they come to him. I call that God's crap of life filter. You may not like that. Find a better way to say that's okay. Let me show you a second thing real quick in this guidelines. And this is an important one. You know, when you're really, you know, the song James Taylor talks about that, and he says, you know, I didn't want it to be this way. And Suzanne, with the Suzanne, the plans we made, this was apparently a, a young lady that he had met when he was in the, in the detox mental health facility, and she apparently had committed suicide. And, and, and he's saying, you know, Suzanne's the, plan, the plans may put an end to you and so forth. Um, and he's just, just tragically broken over this whole thing. Whether you're in a detox center trying to get free of heroin, which I'm told is just one of the most horrific addictions chemically that there is, or whether you're just trying to, to, to get by in life and you have some other nasty habits, something that might, now be careful how you take this, something that might be as simple as anger that can also cause a lot of heartache just with words that are said. Something that might be as simple as, as certain kinds of, 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 of language or, or, or I don't necessarily mean just cursing, but I mean in terms of abusive language. Some people are more worried about curse words and they turn around and they abuse people with their words. Uh, somehow I think the abuse of people is far more important than maybe a particular kind of word that they might be using. So, but we get in those situations sometimes where we just have doubts. My second guideline from Job is this. Don't be afraid of doubt. Don't be afraid of doubt. Because I'm going to tell you something. The only person that doesn't doubt, I've got to tell you, you got to, the only person that doesn't have doubt is not thinking. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be unkind with that. They're just not thinking. It's like I've said many times, if two people agree on everything, only one of them is thinking. And uh, and same thing with doubt. Let me show you how much how doubt entered into Job's life. This is pretty amazing. Listen, watch this. Obliterate the day. This is chapter three. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. You ever felt that way? I have. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night, and the night of my conception. The devil take it. Rip the date off the calendar. Delete it from the almanac. He's in a bad place. I mean, he's in a bad place. Maybe you haven't gone quite that far. Maybe you can relate to just some of the residue of that. Wow. Doubt. Don't be afraid to doubt. God is big enough to handle your questions and to handle your doubts. And I'm going to show you in just a moment, just a moment, I'm going to show you what God does with Job's doubts. Because I'm just showing you the highlights. We've got 42 chapters of Job, and, and, and several of those chapters, he's questioning God. He's, question, he's got three friends that come and try to help him. I call them the three stooges because they're just total idiots. And they come and they try to give him advice, and, and their advice just stinks. I mean, it just stinks. You know, one of them says, well, it's you. You did something wrong somewhere back there when you were a little baby or something. And, and another one comes along and says, well, no, it's not you. It's you don't have enough faith. And, it's, you know, it's just, they're just they're, they're, they're jerks. But anyway, all that goes on. And we're just kind of skipping on it because it's, it's a great study, but we don't, we're not going to take the time to do all that now. But the point is this, Job had a lot of doubt. So how does God deal with that? I want to take you to this third point. Before I get to the third point, let me show you how God responds, Okay. Here's how God responds, beginning in the part of one of my favorite 
passages of the Bible, or the, what begins is one of my favorite passages, uh, begins one of my favorite passages, at least in the Bible. Look what happens in Job chapter 38. Here's God talking. Why do you confuse the issue? He's talking to Job. Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. This is God. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you. I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Chapter 38, and down a few more verses, verse 12. Have you, ever, have you ever ordered morning, get up, told dawn, get to work? <clears throat> so, so you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches? This is great stuff. Hebrew poetry, talking about who God, the magnificence of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next, next part of this chapter. Have you ever gotten into the true bottom of things, explored the labyrinthian caves of deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? <laughs> do, you, do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? Do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. You can see Job just sort of, you know, whoops, you know. You can just see him kind of backing up. Can, can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Can you do that, Job? You're asking me these questions. You know? <laughs> then the Lord said, <laughs> then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Watch this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will put my hand over my mouth in silence. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job's like, I got your point, God. God never answered the question, did he? Never answered the question. And you know what? What kind of God would we have if we could understand everything about an almighty, all-powerful, omnipresent God? He'd be just like you and me. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a God like me. The point is this. Who else are you going to trust? Who else are you going to trust? You know, and, and here's the issue with this. And I, I got to... A couple of things I want to show you real quick. Um, who else are you going to trust? So you go through these things and you, and, you, and, you, and you experience death and you experience separation and you experience heartache and, and sometimes it's not death. Sometimes it's divorce and sometimes it's, it's people you love changing. It's, it's, it's all kinds of stuff. But somewhere in here, God in his redemptive processes is at work and you may not see that right away. In this particular case, it was in this book that I'm reading. This, this is a great book. As I said, written by Douglas Gresham. The young man portrayed Douglas Gresham in the, in the movie Shadowlands. And uh, he, he came into C.S. Lewis's life. Uh, young, young, young Douglas was eight years old when his mother began um, seeing um, C.S. Lewis. And uh, he writes this. This book is just, it's an amazing book because it, it's written from his perspective. One of the things that he says, he says... And, and you got to understand some things about C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis was, was, was 
very, uh, was an academia. I mean, he, he, he taught certainly a, um, at a different level than a lot of people. He was at Oxford, great professor of literature, has written, and we had the movie coming out December 22nd, I know the date, um, of uh, the, Lion, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the, some of those, The Chronicles of Narnia, which C.S. Which CS Lewis wrote. Um, I want to read something to you. He was in World War I. He thought he was going to die. Jack, C.S. Lewis. And, uh, and these are the writers here. Douglas Gresham says, He was five months he was being shelled and shot at, ordering men to go out and die, making friends only to see them killed before his eyes a few days, or in some cases even hours later. Five months of living in mud, always wet, and in the constant stench of blood, fire, high explosive, and the decaying dead. All wars are ghastly. But in all wars, this is an interesting point, but in all wars, both before and since World War I, the battlefield has always been a place where soldiers spent only a short time. World War I was different. In, the, in this war, the soldiers spent months living, fighting, and dying in the same place, continually being bombed and shelled. They lived literally in the foxhole for months upon months upon months. And that's where C.S. Lewis was in France in World War I and, and was hit a couple of times. Went back for, uh, had to go to the hospital. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis shared, uh, that, that Gresham shared in this book about C.S. Lewis, is after the war there were these big celebrations going on, and C.S. Lewis said, I can't celebrate. I'm glad the war's over, but of my five closest friends, I'm the only one that's alive. I can't celebrate. So that was part of the whole journey that he was on. But I want to read something to you. When I read this, it just blew me away. I want you to think God's redemptive processes. I want you to think God's crap of life filter. That, that he'll say this much, but not, don't go any further. And, and how God takes these things over a period of years and brings them back together in ways that we can't even fathom. Sufferings and heartaches and fire and rain and all the stuff that can happen. Listen to this. Once again at this point, God had control of his wayward son, Jack, C.S. Lewis, and worked, it, worked a design for Jack's life. For now, this is after the war, after World War I, for now at last Jack was able to go back to Oxford and University College to begin in earnest his career as a scholar. The colleges were aware that with so many young men killed in the war, it was going to be difficult to find sufficient students to fill the colleges or even to half-fill them for that matter. And with this in mind, the authorities at Oxford decided that men returning from the war would not have to pass the responsions exam, the very exam that Jack had already failed twice, and with which, with its math section quite beyond him, it is doubtful that he ever could have passed it. Under normal circumstances, this would have meant that he could never have entered Oxford University and certainly could never have worked there as a professor. So nothing else, if nothing else ever good, came out of World War I, at least it made it possible for C.S. Lewis to study and later work at Oxford University. Isn't that a great story? I mean, you think, oh, this tragedy and all this stuff going on around him. Even in that, in the life of this one great writer whose legacy lives on in many of our lives today, God did a pretty amazing thing. Wouldn't have even gotten into Oxford, let alone become prolific professor there had it not been for that. Here's the point. 
God's got some phenomenal stuff going on in our lives. And oftentimes, oftentimes, it comes through our greatest pain. We can respond to that and kick against that and whine and complain and say, why does it have to be that way? Or we can say, okay, God, teach me. Make me into the man or the woman that you want me to be. It might be something very serious. It might be something that may not be quite as serious when people look back on it. Who would have thought that being cut from a freshman basketball team would affect Michael Jordan the way it did? We look back on those things and think, oh, there's, not, there's nothing to it. It's school. There's something to everything. And that's where we thank God that he's in heaven and he's got this filter going on. And it's a redemptive filter for all of us working in all of our lives. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. We are so thankful for the truth that we see here. We're thankful for this filter that we don't really understand. But some of us at least accept that by by just faith. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that this has made possible in a relationship with you. And that Jesus made that possible. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus came and lived and suffered and was crucified, died, went to the tomb and rose again so that we have the ability to have a relationship with our Creator. For many of us, Lord, we are thankful that we've been able to look at that and, and, and have that as part of our life for a long time. For some of us, we're still figuring some of those things out. I pray that you would help us as we do. We thank you for the grace that is so evident in all of our lives placed there by you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.